My son is two and a half years old and I haven't, you know, kind of figured out what it even means to be working and be a mom at the same time. And I just felt like I needed somebody to help me through it all. And it felt like two years of my life had been smushed into a couple months. You kind of like numb yourself to to it. You know, you just kind of go through the motions. And um, I, I, I kind of wanted to figure myself out a bit more. This is Sasha Shell. That was Carly Fortune, and you're listening to Dear Seekers, a podcast exploring and celebrating the process, practice of seeking. Each month, you can tune in to hear my conversation with an intriguing and insightful woman, to hear the path led her to where she is now, the hardships she had to or still is experiencing, and the wisdom and insights she has learned along the way. One thing I'd like to make it very clear is that this is not a podcast that packages all the answers and perfect recipes for you to apply to your life. These women have accomplished milestones and garnered wisdom to share, which I'm forever grateful. But I'm certain they will all agree that they are all still working progress and are in this ongoing journey. You will be delusional to tell you that their stories can be an injection to your instant recovery or progression. My goal here, though, is to bring these honest and uplifting conversations to encourage us, yes, myself included, to keep seeking, reflecting, self-rediscovering, self-reinventing, that's a good one, expanding, reaching a better version of ourselves, and embracing the evolution of thought. Think about this. The us tomorrow will never be the same as today. At least that's the hope. Before introducing today's guest, I'd like to read a review on Apple Podcast. Let me open the app. I really appreciate all of you taking your time to leave us a review or comment. This one is from, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but this is how to spell, M-T-T-H-W underscore H-N-R-Y. Great interview with interesting, inspiring women. I love the way the episode are pieces together all around great podcast thank you so much please keep all the reviews coming so more women can find us and hear these stories today's guest is carly fortune you may not be familiar with her name if you're not in the publishing world but you most likely have heard of all the publications she's been part of carly started as an intern at toronto life and she raised her hand when they needed an associate online editor. Then she joined the grid as one of the founding members to launch the beloved Toronto Weekly News magazine. A couple of years later, she joined forces as assistant editor at The Globe. Her experiences there eventually led her to the role of the editor-in-chief at Chardonnay. Now, Carly is leading a team of seven as the executive editor at Refinery29 Canada. Her intensive background in publishing is very impressive. She is someone never shies away from opportunities. She senses them and she catches them. 
During our conversation, she shares her experiences of building a team from the ground up, opens up about her struggles of founding her identity as a new mom, and she talks about her way of getting in touch with herself. Despite all the fear and unknown, Carly is willing to put herself out there for a bigger purpose. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. And now we have to dive into this like sort of deep conversation.、Um, but thank you so much for saying yes to Dear Seekers. I'm so honored to be sitting in the living room with you, having bubbly water. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so amazing to have you here. Thank you so much, Carly. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm I'm really delighted to be talking with you.、Um, Many of our listeners probably already know I have some sort of a formula to start with、uh, an interview. At the beginning, I will actually take the guest all the way back to their upbringing, childhood, because I'm a firm believer that you know those memories we have do shape a lot of who we are today.、Mm. We will get to there later, but today I want to do something different. Okay, I want to like dive right into where you are right now, all like, right, current state,、um, your career path. And、uh, maybe a little bit before how you get to where you are now. I know before Refinery Twenty Nine, you were actually the editing chief at Shadow Lane, and then you just got promoted there maybe two months, if I'm not mistaken. And then you accepted this offer. Yes. So I know some talking points, like some highlights,、mm-hmm. but I didn't know exactly how it happened、yeah. and how the conversation started, and、uh, what prompted you to accept this offer. So I guess it goes back to June of last year.、Um, I had been working at Chatelaine for almost four years, mostly as the deputy editor. And in June,、uh, we had a lot of layoffs at、uh, the company that owned Chatelaine,、um, and we lost over half of our staff at Chatelaine. Our editor in chief. Resigned, and I was offered the role of editor in chief. Can you take us back to that day when you seen many of your colleagues? Yeah, it was awful. In, yeah, because I've been laid off before. Yeah, it's really hard. So I really had that experience that seeing your colleagues pack their bag. Yeah, how was it like that day? And then maybe just kind of tell us. It was. It was very surreal. I think.、Um, You know, I wasn't surprised that there were layoffs、uh, at the company. I felt that something was going to happen. In fact, I had just gone back to work the fall previously after my maternity leave, and、uh, my husband and I had been talking about renovating our home. And I, I went back to work, and it just felt like something was really off. And I, I said to him, "You know what? I I don't think my job's secure. I don't think this is the time to renovate." And well, you sensed that right away.、Eh? Yeah, yeah. And then you know, little things would happen if you. Between the lines, you can kind of see which way the wind is blowing, and of course, media is a tumultuous industry. And、uh, but the day that it happened was it was surreal. The company was divided into two meetings, and if you were in one meeting, you were staying, and if you were in the other meeting, you were going.、Wow. Uh, we were asked. To、um, you know, to sit in that room while our colleagues cleared out our desks. So we didn't really even have a goodbye that day. And when I went back to my desk, I didn't even know who had even been let go. And then、uh, about ten minutes later, I was、uh, pulled into a room and offered the job of editor in chief of Chatelaine,、wow. which was、um, not a career high. I would say I didn't accept it. At that point, and spent the next couple of weeks really thinking about whether I wanted to take that on, and kind of decided that I would do it in the short term. 
I thought, you know what, this is this is a tremendous brand. This is going to look good on a resume for me. The team is greatly reduced, but still fantastic. And I'll see it over in this kind of transition phase. You know, when you're told that after massive layoffs that you should be grateful for a job and mm-hmm. um, everybody should feel lucky, the messaging was so... Um, it made me sick to my stomach. I was I was just exquisitely unhappy. It was really awful. And it wasn't for me. It just it just wasn't the right place for me to be. So I kind of thought I wouldn't be in media anymore. It's a small industry and I have had the privilege of working at like some of the best titles uh in this company if we're or in this country, sorry. I've worked at the Globe and Mail. I've worked at Toronto Life, um, Chatelaine, a publication called The Grid, which was an amazing weekly in Toronto. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just didn't see a place for myself anymore. There wasn't really anything I wanted to do. And mm-hmm. so I was kind of at a loss. At this point, nothing excites her or sparks any butterflies in her stomach. Till this opportunity knocked on her door. Then I heard that Refinery29 was going to be launching in Canada, and that's how this new phase started. It was so exciting. You know, I've been I've been such a fan of Refinery29 for so many years. I was an online editor in my first job at Toronto Life, and at that time, I remember being just so impressed by the voice of Refinery29. And it is it has changed so much since it was launched, but I've always kept an eye on it and was always really jealous, actually, of, of what they did. And to have the opportunity to bring new kind of media brand to Canada, I mean, of course, Refinery29 has millions of Canadian readers already, but to kind of launch something, have a media launch in Canada, that opportunity is very rare. It doesn't happen very often. And to be tasked with figuring that out in a very challenging media climate was just like so exciting to me. That was, and I just feel connected to the brand and it's a very mission driven media brand and entertainment brand. And that is, was something that was totally new for me. I've never really worked somewhere where it felt like people were really united around a mission and the refinery mission is to help women see, feel and claim their power. And I just thought very clear. It's very clear. It's very clear. And it, it, it's not, it's not BS. You really feel that mm-hmm. throughout the company. People really stand behind that. Right. Yeah. And as you share, Refinery29 has been this like important platform for lots of women that, you know, self-identified women, marginalized women. Yeah. Um, to claim their voice yeah. and to find encouragement to, be who they are, actually. Yeah, yeah. And uh, something kind of interesting, because you did share that putting yourself out there on this like huge platform, yeah. that's freak you out a little bit. Yeah. So what freaks you out? Is that something kind of like a weight on your shoulder now? Because it is a huge platform. Yeah. Um. So tell me more about that. Yeah. Um. Well, I haven't been the boss before. I've been a boss, but I, and of course, um, there's a lot of people behind me and a greater company, but I've never, I've never been the person in charge before. And that is, how does it feel? It's terrifying and it's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Both at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that was, really scary for me is that, and it still is, even though there's so much support from the team in New York, are our own um, entity here and we're, and we are quite independent. 
And, you know, I worked with women who were real mentors to me. And to start a new phase without that um, safety net mm. is really scary. Yeah, it's really scary. It has been since October, right? Mm-hmm. So it has been quite a few months now. Mm-hmm. So what other things you have learned about the company, about, you know, the platform, yeah. even about yourself that kind of surprised you a bit? Oh, that's a good question. Hmm. What's been a surprise? Because it's almost like you have known this platform for a while. Yeah. Be a reader, be a yeah. close follower. Yeah. But now you're actually part of a, this platform and yeah. leading a team. Yeah. So I, I wonder getting so close and yeah. be part of it, how, yeah. what kind of like surprises will come along the way? Um, I don't know if any, you know, I didn't have any real, I had expectations, I guess, but I didn't really know what it would be like. I feel like it, it really was stepping in, into the unknown. And so in some ways, kind of all parts of it, um, have been a surprise or, or new. It has been such a delight to build the team here. That is, of course, I've been involved with hiring people in the past, but to kind of build a team from from nothing, that's, and we're a small team, but that is- How many um, team members now? So we're seven, um, or about to be seven. And it's really time consuming to find the right people, but it's so rewarding when it comes together. And I've just- you know, I've been not surprised, but like really happy with how I've managed finding people actually. Yeah. yeah I, that's, that's something about myself that I, you know, didn't kind of right. have a ton of experience with. And I think I've, I've done a good job at that. Yeah. I don't know. I th- I mean, one thing that of course I knew that Refiner29 was really big in Canada, but the love that the brand has here is unreal. People love it. I've had a couple of events where I've spoken to people who are in our in our demographic and Refinery29 readers and the connection is so strong and it is that has been some of the most exciting moments since we've launched here is, is mm-hmm. just meeting those readers. That's been really really cool. For a lot of international publications, when they have Canadian or Canada chapter, yeah. sometimes um, this chapter becomes a, almost like a half-abandoned, unwanted child that just being there for the sake of being there. <laughs> and then it's like maybe 80 or 90% of the content still fed by the global team. Yeah. And then doesn't have that enough nutrition or love or tension yeah, yeah. as nearly as other markets. Yeah. Um, sometimes 10% of the content goes into the, the overall content strategy doesn't even have that relevancy to the local market. Right, right. So I wonder what's your plan and what's your team's plan? Um, how are you going to make sure that, you know, Refinum29 is going to stay here for the market here and yeah. Yeah, still stay relevant? Yeah, I think there's a couple different answers to that question. My first answer is that our goal is not to have a majority of the majority of our content right now to be produced in Canada. You know, the editorial team in the U.S., I couldn't possibly keep up with the amount of content that they 
produced there. Mm -hmm. And in fact, what is coming out of New York and the UK is like hyper relevant to our audience. So it's really about like thinking strategically in terms of, you know, I'm the only editor right now. We have one staff writer, we have a freelance budget, we have a visuals editor. So with that very kind of limited resourcing, what are the stories that really, really matter? And like, let's make those count. It's not about volume, 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 like the most Canadian content that we could possibly produce, especially right now. And, you know, we'll see how we how we grow and how how things kind of evolve from there but really i'm definitely have my eye on how we can make sure what we're creating that's canadian original is high quality Mm -hmm. um while keeping up with the demands of digital but then it's really about how do we build a media brand in canada that is sustainable Mm -hmm. and that is a real goal of ours we didn't come into canada with a with a massive team we we started really light and we've slowly grown and we're like continuing to grow and we need to grow in line with with our business i think that's how we ensure that we can continue in canada and kind of and scale up it's not you know i think about when we launched the grid and how our first issue we worked for months and months figuring out what this publication would be. And our first issue was almost the perfect version of what that publication could be. Of course, there were lots of great issues and definitely improvements, but you know, it, a a traditional media launch is like your, your, your opening product is like your shiny, your shiny, perfect baby. Mm -hmm. And in digital media, it's not, it's not like that. It's about improving, learning, growing smart. Yeah. And and that kind of tie back to you mentioned about this whole media platform in Canada actually yeah. is kind of like an entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. So yeah. it's about testing, learning. Yeah. Uh, it's not about making a big splash and then that's it. That kind of methodology, I think, will apply to, you know, creative or entrepreneurs and small business. Yeah. It's yeah. really consistently learn and test and then to really learn their audience, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And and to have fun. Um and to We intend to forget about that, don't we? Sometimes. <laughs> when you get caught yeah, up in the business day to day. It's so important. And I also really appreciate that as a reader when you feel how how much fun someone is having. And I love reading Kathleen Newman Bremang, our our staff writer. I love reading her work because you just feel her passion and her spark and when she loves something you just like it's so fun to watch it's Mm -hmm. so fun to read it's a really challenging industry but there's no point doing it if we can't can't have fun and shake things up a little bit and take risks Mm -hmm. shaking things up and taking risk is not a foreign concept for carly Carly's first boss after uni once told her, your mouth is going to get you in trouble one of these days. So here, I ask her. Was that always one of your tendency that you, if you see something, you wanted to be vocal about it? Um, yeah, yeah. I've always, I've always been somebody who um, expressed herself. And I, especially um, entering media, my impression that you needed to put your ideas out there and, and put yourself out there and have a voice. And 
if you didn't do that, then what, what's the point? Mm-hmm. What value are you? So yeah, I've always, I've always tried to speak up. I think I probably am, am more, um, guarded about it now than, than I was when I was younger. Oh, that's my fridge. <laughs> Is that going to make a big, yeah, we, it probably won't be a long time. But I'm just going to have disclaimer. Is the fridge is making noise? The fridge is being vocal right now. It, it's humming. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you remember your, what you're saying? or No. <laughs> Me either. I was trying to throw that to you and then you might catch it up. I was like, oh, none of us remember. Yeah. Um, but maybe we can just kind of like segue that into... You know, did you always dream to be an editor when growing up? That was a profession that was part of your, like, maybe a dreaming list or something. No, and I wouldn't have known what an editor was. And I think most people don't know what an editor (laughs) is or what an editor does. Or some sort of form, like similar form. No, um, I always loved magazines growing up. I just devoured them. And I had stacks and stacks and stacks of magazines in my room. And and I had my whole bedroom wall was plastered in, in art from magazines. I was on vacation once as a teenager. I made magazines for all my friends um, over the holiday and brought brought them back magazines. And I always loved writing. I have kept journals since I was really, really little. And in high school, uh, my best friend in high school always knew what she wanted to do. She always wanted to be an architect. And one, one day they had the university fair set up at the gym in the high school. And she knew exactly what she was going to look at, which schools offered architecture. And she was going to go talk to those schools. And I had no idea what I wanted to do at all. And she said to me, why don't you look at journalism? You oh. love magazines. And so why don't you just go talk to some of the schools and ask them if they have journalism programs? And so that's what I did. And that's what led me to attending Ryerson for journalism. Mm-hmm. I wanted to work in magazines. It's fascinating. Your best friend saw something in you that mm-hmm. you at that time didn't even realize. I did. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't have even known that that was a a career option for me at all. And even when I graduated from Ryerson, the industry still felt pretty closed off to me. Like I had no idea of how to get a job in magazines and it still kind of didn't seem realistic to me, but I I ended up there. (laughs) (laughs) So Carly ended up here from where? I was born in Toronto, but I grew up in Australia. My dad's Australian. My mom's Canadian. They met in Scotland and what a love uh, story. <laughs> got got married um, a few months later, and uh, they settled in Toronto and had my brother and I decided to move to Australia when I was three. My mom's parents had died, uh, both of them, before I was born and my dad had both of his parents still in Australia and so they wanted um, us to know our grandparents and uh, we moved we moved there we lived there until I was about nine Um, and then we moved back to Canada instead of moving back to Toronto we moved to a really small town called Barry's Bay in eastern Ontario you know I was there from grade four on uh, went to high school there and then came back to Toronto for university Mm. yeah what kind of childhood memories you have you feel like now looking back and kind of almost transcended in your work today? 
Well, I was always, I was writing. I had a really hard time when we moved back to Canada. The kids were not very welcoming at all. And I think it was kind of the age where girls are starting to see each other as competitors. And also, you know, my brother and I were these two kids with accents in a very, very small town, 1200 people in our town. And we were just like made fun of relentlessly. And so uh, there were only like, I don't know, seven or eight girls in my class and they wouldn't play with me. So I would, I would sit in a corner at recess and, and write and make up stories and sometimes play with the boys. So it was kind of always something that was, that was in me. Um, so that that's a pretty pretty strong memory. A lot of struggle in elementary school with girls, and then you know getting to the age where you get some power, and then being terribly mean to other girls. And it was you know a bit of a tumultuous um, school experience for sure, for sure. Um, and then uh, my family worked together. My dad's a chef and. My mom studied tourism hospitality and they opened an inn together in this small town. And so my brother and my dad would work in the kitchen and my mom and I would serve and in the restaurant. And we worked together as a family for many, many years. And that is a really strong, a formative experience for me in terms of learning how to be a really hard worker. My parents have worked tremendously hard their, their entire lives and really strove for quality and I really learned that and also have been terrified of owning my own business since. So. <laughs> you have seen what they have been going seen, through. I have seen it. You um, almost lost that naivete, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's also, I think it's so, like being a server, is it's a really hard job. And I think it's something that it's really good for people to work in the service industry. Um, and I, I picked up so many skills there that I think still serve me now, for what sure. Being able to turn it on with people and make conversation and be warm and um, make people feel comfortable. And then also um, multitasking and you know, as a server, you're constantly like running through checklists in your, in your head and you're, you appear very calm and smooth, but you're really kind of hustling and, mm -hmm. but it's almost invisible. And I think, I think I still do that in a lot of ways. <laughs> right. Looking back, what kind of like career highlights were, you know, worth mentioning? Oh, um, doesn't have to be achieved maybe tremendous God, just words get, or anything, but for, me, for you, yeah. For me, getting, getting an internship at Toronto Life was, um, that was my first real job in the industry and to have a job at a magazine that I just, I loved so much that started everything for me. And there was no better place to learn the business of editorial. I don't think um, the standards were really high. It was like a bit scary, but you know, I don't think I would have had such an understanding of what a good story idea is or how to kind of get your point across succinctly. And so that was a really valuable experience. And the other thing, it led to a job. So the online editor resigned when I was an intern and I put up my hand and said, oh, I'll do that job until you can hire somebody. And they took me up on the offer. So I guess that's a moment where my mouth, I didn't think about that. I just blurted that out. And I ended up, ended up staying until I left for the grid. And, uh, that, that was, you know, 
being part of something I never had would have thought I could be a part of. That was really cool. And I met a lot of great people there and, and one of my very dear friends there too. So that was, that really was an amazing experience. So far, sure. I've uh, just listening to you telling the story. Mm-hmm. I kind of find a common thread in that is oh. that you usually really good at catching the opportunity yes, and create yeah. your own opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. How did you, uh, have that tendency in you or how did you, was it a skill set a lot you always had or it was it almost like you kind of learned along the way? It's funny you should say that. I think that is like, a hundred percent true. I knew that it is hard to get a job in this field. Uh, it's a small industry. It's very competitive. And I always was somebody who wanted to learn more and kind of see how far I could get. I'm mm-hmm. very um, ambitious. And so I've always kind of looked at what's going on around me and, and kind of tried to figure out one, how I could excel somewhere, but also how I could, as an editor, make myself different from other people who are out there. And I've always kind of looked for a a next stage that would grow me in in some way that I would kind of do something new. I I really don't want to stagnate ever. And, you know, when I was at Toronto Life, I remember before I started my internship, my thinking on that one, my strategy on that one was like, I'm going to be one of the youngest people there. I'm going to get some cool accessories and look like a cool young person. And I'll I'll be needed because they're going to need some, like, a cool young person's perspective. Wow. <laughs> Which that's is, like, a very, very valuable thought. That is the least cool. <laughs> but that's what it is now. So many companies hire young people because they want to target so, Gen Z. And so then- embarrassing. <laughs> So embarrassing, but I I really have tried to figure out what makes me different from other people along the way. And when I was being interviewed for this Refinery29 job, I kind of looked around at the market out there and and the people, and I knew that there was nobody better for the job. Like I, I really, and I'm not somebody who is like so deeply confident, but I really did feel like there was nobody else who had the collection of skills that I had and and that were so perfectly suited to that job and so yeah I've, I have been a bit opportunistic in a good way yeah <laughs> but it almost comes with self-awareness yeah. and you also have to know your competitors quote yeah. unquote, and then the the opportunity itself yeah like you have to know almost like triangle to yeah. be able to catch the opportunity yeah and um uh, and then just be willing to put yourself out there. And I've, I've, um, haven't stayed comfortable. I think that's another thing. I've, I've kept, kept moving. I get bored pretty quickly. So that might be part of it. As someone who is constantly seeking new challenges, willing to step out of the comfort zone and step into the unknown, Being too comfortable sometimes means discomfort. I know this all too well. It's definitely great to push forward, but this also comes with the side effect, which is the disability to be content. You don't really get ahead unless the work that you do now is of good quality. So I I don't think I've sacrificed the present for the future. I just keep my eye open for opportunities when they present themselves. 
And so that isn't about like moving on to the next thing necessarily, but it's mm-hmm. about looking for opportunities in what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. What about also you mentioned putting yourself out there? Mm-hmm. I think that takes confidence and then the vulnerability. Where did you gain those strength? You think? Uh, not sure that I have either of those strengths. <laughs> you're being humble. Um, honestly, like doing this interview is so terrifying to me. But I, you're still, you still say yes to me. So I wonder. That's true. What kind of, <laughs> <laughs> which worked out in my way, but thank God. But you gotta be something there. What kind of thing that kind of prompt you or drive you to give you that strength to be vulnerable? Because I think that's a very hard. Thing to do nowadays. Yeah, and honestly, I I don't think that I am great at on the vulnerability front for sure, but is something that I'm working on. I am concerned with improvement, um, and not really in a woo woo self improvement way, but maybe I I guess I'm just not comfortable accepting myself as I am (laughs) or uh, even my situation as it is which I don't think is necessarily a good quality but um you know I I do always want to challenge myself and and opening myself up is a pretty big challenge for me I would say yeah (laughs) (laughs) but even admitting it that's vulnerability Yeah. yeah 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 It's, it's not comfortable. <laughs> it's, not, it's hard. My therapist is very interested in vulnerability too. Um, Can only, we talk about therapy? Sure. Because I I've think only that's... gone twice, so it's very new for me. But she, what prompted you to go in the first place? Um, I felt like I was at this point in my life where I was. Ha- I it for me. Speaking of like having trouble being vulnerable. <laughs> God, I want to crawl under the table right now. (laughs) Um, It's just me here. (laughs) I, you know, for me, this is, I would say, the most challenging time in both my personal and professional life. And, and I wanted help with that. Uh, Because, you know, my, my son is two and a half years old. And I haven't, you know, kind of figured out what it even means to be working and be a mom at the same time. And I just felt like I needed somebody to help me through it all. Um, and and honestly, like af- after all the layoffs in June, I kept saying like, I think I need work therapy. Like, I, like you know, it, we had all these layoffs. I took on the editor-in-chief role. Then I took this new job. Four weeks after I started the new job, we launched Refinery29. All of last fall, I was I was sick for months. My son was sick too. It felt like I was never healthy. And it just was like, it felt like two years of my life had been smushed into a couple months. You kind of like numb yourself to it. You know, you just kind of go through the motions. And um, I kind of wanted to figure myself out a bit more. And um and my therapist says that vulnerability is like <laughs> something to work on. The other thing that's happened to me, I guess this is, you know, you asked earlier about what surprises were in this new job. One of the craziest things is that I have gone from being one of the youngest people at an office at the beginning of my career to being the oldest person and the only mom in my office 
in what seemed like a blink of an eye, you know, and it's tricky. It's weird. It's so weird. And so I don't know what it means to bring like that part of myself, that like motherhood part of myself to work, but kind of trying to piece that together too with, Mm -hmm. with therapy. And I had a really traumatic, um, uh, birth experience too, that I think is still something to, that I'm, I'm kind of working through for sure. Would you mind sharing that part? Yeah, sure. Um, so my pregnancy was fine, but my son Max, when I was in labor, his heart rate just like stop and I got prepped for an emergency cesarean all these like doctors were rushing in and I got wheeled to the operating room and um, what had happened is one of my contractions had held for six minutes and cut off his oxygen so that's why his his heart rate had tanked and then just before they were going to do the cesarean his his heart rate had come back up so they didn't operate but it happened again later in the day and at that point, he was like ready to come out, but because his oxygen was being cut out and he like he had dropped so far and I was dilated, it, ha- it had to be a vaginal birth and but it had to happen really, really quickly. And because I had I had an epidural, but it had been topped up so much for a cesarean, I couldn't feel a single thing. Like, mm. I couldn't feel a contraction. I couldn't. So I wasn't pushing properly. And, um, you know, they tried to get him out with a vacuums on his head. And I remember, like, the doctor, like, flying across the room with a vacuum because he couldn't pull, pull him oh out. And eventually, like, very quickly, really, um, they used forceps to bring him out. So the delivery itself was, like, 10 or 15 minutes. It was really, really fast. I, the only thing I could feel was like a, t- a tear, like a, like a zipper in the crotch. And I remember thinking like, that is not going to be good. And um, it took them an hour and 15 minutes to stitch everything up. And I was just totally out of it. I had thought um, when they were rushing me to the OR, like I thought for a split second that I was going to die. I, I really felt that because it was so scary. And I, I remember feeling like things were going to be okay but the whole experience just became totally surreal to me and then I was really injured and the aftercare at the hospital the next day was really really lacking and I had a hard time I had a hard time recovering from that and I had some postpartum anxiety issues and Max lost a lot of weight at at first he had to go into sick kids for a night when he was 10 days old, I had problems breastfeeding, and it felt like being in survival mode for the first month. And I know a lot of new parents feel that way, and I'm fortunate that I was really healthy, like ultimately, Max was ultimately healthy. I was so, you know, I have a partner, my mom was here, um, and even with like all that support, it was still so, so hard. Um, I also just like did not feel like myself at all after giving birth and you know real I think that's a lot of new moms feel that way where it's like who who am I even anymore mm-hmm. and you kind of like slowly get that back but but I think I'm still figuring that out mm-hmm. who I even am anymore yeah because yeah. now you there's an, a layer of identity yeah just put it on you and then I actually heard a lot of moms share that story about you know, lost their identity after uh, gave birth. Yeah. You know, I really try to like separate my motherhood from the rest of my professional life. And I really try to separate that part of my identity. I don't know why that's something that I'm kind of thinking about more, Mm -hmm. why that is. Do you think besides all that, being a mother has shaped any new perspective or any way? Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm sure it has. I just don't know how it, I don't know. I don't like, I don't know how it's really affected me. It definitely affects the way that you work just in terms of, you know, I used to sit at my desk until I wanted to leave. And now I'm conscious of leaving at a certain time. I go to work early. I leave at a good time. And I am always thought I was an efficient worker and now I'm just even, even more so. But I don't know on a, on a deeper level, I don't know how it's really affected me, but yeah, I think I'll, I'll kind of figure it out really. Yeah. yeah. I think it's really interesting is that a lot of uh, people, mothers, I think, of course, this conversation is coming more and more now, Yeah, but you will see people, uh, mothers putting on Instagram, everything so, seemed like so effortless and yeah. it's like, today you're pregnant and tomorrow the baby's born yeah. and all the photos seem so beautiful and the babies yeah. are so cute, which are great, yeah. but at the same time, I feel like there's a lot of stories that here are missing yeah. that people not really being vulnerable like you just yeah. did yeah. Um, to share that part of a journey that might not be quote-unquote as glamorous as we've yeah. seen. It's interesting because on the one hand, I like we, you know, we all are performing a version of ourselves on social media that looks a lot nicer than maybe it does in real life. Mm-hmm. But also I think there is a trend to um being open and telling our stories on social media that also sometimes to me feels a bit performative too Mm, um that's an interesting point but i i don't post much about being a mom on social i very rarely post a photo of max i think i only have put a photo of his face maybe two times um three times um one, like there's lots of reasons for it. One, which is his privacy, but another is just, I didn't want to have to capture our relationship and, and perform it for social media. I didn't want to know how many likes a picture of him would get if he looked one way or another way. A part of my life that I prefer to keep private and not have to put it out there. But, at, you know, at the same time, like that's just me. And, and I think people do share in a way that is authentic to themselves. I just didn't want to have to try to figure out what that would mean for me. For me, exercise has been uh, a way back to myself since becoming a mom. And also as a somebody who just works in a stressful career is... I find one way of really managing stress and connecting with myself and clearing the mind and just feeling like a fresh person. That for me is if I'm tired or stressed, like if I exercise, I just feel so much better. Like that, that really has been it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's it. That's all the questions. But now we get into the rapid fire part. It should be something fun. Thank you so much for listening in today. Make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcast and to sign up to the Seeker Supply on DearSeekers.com. It not only contains my exclusive rapid-fire chat with Carly, her recommendations on some local jams, but also have some great stuff recommended by me and other Seekers, such as this app that offers sex audio stories. It's great storytelling and sexy. 
you don't want to miss that. And also, if you have discovered something that you think other seekers might find useful or interesting, like a local jam you discovered, a playlist, product, pages worth sharing, you can either drop me a DM on Instagram at dearseekers, or email me at sasha at dearseekers.com. Until next time, keep seeking.